Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that helped craft their delicious life. Like wine, life, and finances have a different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dine. I think you're gonna find this very unique in some ways, although you may have heard me once or twice before talk about the importance of getting more women in the financial planning profession. We hope that you enjoy this conversation between Echo Hong and myself, and that as you listen, you think of the women in your life that might make wonderful financial planners. We mentioned in the beginning that Echo likes Riesling. So we picked out a lovely Prejean semi-dry Riesling to sip on during this podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So sit on back, sip on your favorite beverage and have a wonderful time enjoying the show. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today we have very special guest, Echo Wong. Echo is a female Chinese immigrant who uh, moved to America with only $800 in her pocket at the age of 20, which is amazing. And she formed a company called Echo Wealth Management, which is a registered investment advisory firm. She is also very, very, very passionate about educating women in financial planning, which is those of you that have listened know I'm also very passionate about and she is a certified financial planner like myself who you know helps transforms lives uh which i'm very excited about and your background in particular echo i think is such an amazing journey so i can't wait to get into that so welcome to the show hi i'm very excited to be on the show today and uh, have a good conversation about how we could also help more women own their future Yes, I love that. More women own their future. That's perfect. Show's over. We've made our point. (laughs) Not really. Uh, Before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of the show, as you know, I always like to start out the show with uh, a wine tip section. Uh, Do you have a, a particular wine or a wine that you've been drinking more of recently? I... I don't drink wine often. I only drink for special occasions. And mm-hmm. uh, I prefer Riesling. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so I prefer white wine, generally the sweet kind of white wine. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have Riesling, uh, maybe I would uh, ask for Moscato. So mm-hmm. those are the two, like my go-to choices. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly I'm not an expert. I can't really tell you the detail, <laughs> but I just kind of like the fruity and, you know, sweet taste. Um, on a daily basis, I drink uh, a cup of coffee in the morning to start a day and I switch to hot tea in the afternoon. So wine is something I say for special occasions. <laughs> well, every day to me is a special occasion then. <laughs> Good for you. (laughs) So let's dig in to your journey. Um, As you know, I I like to draw the line between um, a vineyard. I think that our lives are very much like that. We're we're rooted someplace. Our our vines grow. Um, We need support and nourishments to develop in the right way. And as I as I mentioned in the introduction, you moved to America at the age of twenty with $800 in your pocket. 
And so I'm so interested in learning, first of all, you know, what brought you to America and what that journey in and of itself was like, and, and then why you decided to become a financial planner and start your own firm. Yes, I will keep it brief as possible because it is a long journey. Um, so I was born and raised in China, uh, in southern part of China. My parents were uh, school teachers. Uh, they were sent to rural villages to teach after they finished college. So the government mm-hmm. sent them to two different villages to teach, and they were married a year later, and I was born a year after that. And so my sisters, I have two younger sisters and I lived in very rural villages without running water for the first eight years of my life. And then they moved to a bigger village with electricity and running water. And so when I was 12, my family moved to Shenzhen, uh, a city bordering Hong Kong. At that time, uh, Shenzhen was a fishing village with about 50,000 people. Today, it's probably 15 million to 17 million people. And it's considered a Silicon Valley in China today. But when I was there, I had big dreams about seeing the world someday. And I couldn't travel. Uh, China was very closed. We couldn't travel out of the country and I was able to just listening and watching, listening to Hong Kong uh, radio and watching Hong Kong TV using the antenna on the balcony. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I was able to see the outside world uh, and had all the big dreams of someday I would travel around the world. And um, at one point, um, I had an opportunity. So I finished my education at that time at 17 uh, with an accounting diploma, and I had a great job with the Bank of China as an accountant. I was taking English classes at, at night because I knew someday maybe I could use it. So one day the opportunity came. My uncle was uh, doing research for the Department of Chemistry at the University of Idaho, in a small town <laughs> called Moscow, Idaho. Okay, not in Russia. It's it's Moscow, Idaho, and uh, he was able to tell uh, assist me just initially. So I just decided to quit my job and I passed a TOEFL exam and I applied for two universities. I was one of the very fortunate people in front of the uh, U.S. embassy in Guangzhou to receive a full time student visa in when I came to this country. So as a full-time student studying finance at University of Idaho, uh, with $800 in my pocket, that's all I had. My parents gave me their savings. And at that time, China was very poor. I just want people Mm -hmm. kind of think of not China today. That's Mm -hmm. like 1992. And um, Mm -hmm. so I came to this country. I was in Idaho for the first year and saving money by living with my uncle and his family for the first year. And then I found a scholarship to transfer to Winona State University here in Minnesota. So just two hours south from the Twin Cities here. And uh, so I ended up in Minnesota that way, uh, because of scholarship mm-hmm. that I found, I mm-hmm. was able to pay resident tuition as a foreign student. So by introducing my, con- uh, my own culture to the local community, I received this special scholarship, and um, I'm very grateful for that. And I started my career in uh, private accounting uh, for West Publishing Company, and then two years later, I worked for KPMG, mm-hmm. one of the largest CPA firms in the world, um, mm-hmm. as a tax CPA. So I was working with many corporate executives and wealthy families to help them with tax planning, stock option planning, and financial planning. Uh, so I also prepared their tax returns. Mm-hmm. And that is how I started in um 
this financial planning field, but I didn't manage portfolio at that time because KPMG, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of uh, auditing, you know, the requirement mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. independent, I right. couldn't manage portfolio. I was charging a fee for all the financial planning and tax planning I did for clients. And after three tax seasons, uh, you could imagine I didn't like tax season that much. (laughs) After three tax seasons, I said to myself, I just love the financial planning I did during the year. If I could just skip the tax season. And uh, that really, you know, one day I said to myself, "I, I have to make some kind of change in my career. I don't foresee myself becoming a partner of KPMG for another 10 or 15 years of tax season. So I changed my career from a very secure occupation, right? Tax CPA, you will never lose your job uh, as a tax CPA. And to a uh, to become a financial advisor, uh, a high risk and high reward uh, mm-hmm. choice, career choice uh, in 2000 and the timing as you could imagine mm-hmm. it was not the best timing to change career when the stock market was declining uh, so I had to learn very quickly how to survive and how to make it even in the industry as a triple minority you know women Asian women and Asian woman immigrant financial divide. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, one of the things that I found amazing about your journey, I mean, you you said triple, triple my own, triple, uh, I believe the word. Minority. Is, I would say triple, triple minority. minority. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's a good point because, and I've brought it up many times on the show that, you know, I, I want to see the number of women increase in the profession as a general rule, right? Because, you know, when you think about the demographics of, especially I mean, the world, but of the United States where we work, you know, it's 51, 52% women. And yet there's only, well, it depends on which statistic you look at. CFPs is like 23% of the CFPs are women. And and of the total profession, it's only like 15%. Yes. So, so why is that? And then if you, if you go down into other levels of of um, minority, like Asian, African-American, um, you know, Latino, then you're talking about itty bitty percentages, like 1% or less, right? Yes. So it, it was very interesting to me that, and then if you talk immigrant, I mean, now you're like, okay, yeah. like, like 0.01%, right? So. <laughs> That's exactly why when I, uh, when I decided that was the route for me to pursue, I, I knew it wasn't easy. And it was not an easy route, but I just felt that my skill set and my passion are probably the best. You know, this is the best use because I really want to help people create their own financial plans to own their financial future, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, it, uh, the difference between being a financial advisor and a tax CPA is you really have to go out there and be fearless to build your own brand. <laughs> I, I, I think that is very new concept, right? I mean, as a tax CPA, I, you know, I, I believe I was really a good tax CPA working for a top firm, but I never had to even think about getting clients. The clients mm-hmm. were there. But, yeah. uh, you know, as a financial advisor, I would say initially when I wanted to make it, uh, now as I reflect back, it was really good that I believed financial planning should happen first before the products. Yes. Because... You know, now we know a lot of people do financial planning for a fee, but back then in 2000, it was very rare. It was more about what are the top mutual funds you should own, right? Because people are like, okay, uh, dot-com stocks are not good anymore. We need to diversify. So let's get the best performing mutual funds last year, whatever, right? Go ahead. Okay. a, th- a strong thunderstorm. Oh, no worry. Uh, so what I was thinking is uh, I started out charging a fee for giving planning advice, you know, the cash flow planning, tax planning, insurance review, before I actually manage people's money because 
during the downturn, especially when people are really fearful, right? They tend to make emotional mistakes without the proper planning in advance of the market crash. It's so dangerous for people exactly choose the wrong time to get out of the market. So I, so initially, I think what main reason I think I survived the first two years of financial services was I actually was able to charge a fee for doing a financial plan before I was able to gather enough assets and charge a percentage of the asset. And, you know, today I understand, you know, there are just many obstacles to overcome for women to make it in the industry. I think there are several reasons, I think. First, this is kind of like my opinion, you know, over the years, why people, why I see so few Chinese, especially Chinese immigrant, choose my career. Most people at the party probably see me as Chinese. First thing they thought, are you a computer engineer or a software mm-hmm. programmer? And they never will think I would be a financial advisor. Anyway, so I think the reason is, in general, in this culture anyway, a lot of women are thinking very young when they're very young. They they are a little bit afraid of like math. Anything mm-hmm. they are thinking about, oh, that, that requires math. They are like, you know, shy away from it. And then another thing is um, also traditionally uh, financial services industry, traditionally, let's say 30 years ago, most financial advisors at that time started out as a salesperson in mm-hmm. either life insurance or some kind of insurance product industry. And then the industry evolved. They add on mutual fund sales. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the industry also has gone through a major change in the past 30 years. And I think a lot of women just don't want to be the salespeople. You know, women are... A lot of women go to college, they study, let's say, business or finance, accounting. Even when they are confident about numbers, they normally don't want to pursue a career if they think that's require a lot of sales. So in my mind, I think many people, and then the third reason I think people, we don't see enough women is we don't have enough role models and mentors, especially the first five years in their career. Uh, for financial services because when many people cannot actually make a living when they do not have enough network in terms of support network. And so that is something what I believe I can help changing uh, by, you know, talking to enough people and set, giving people the reason to believe that I have made it and what kind of lessons I have learned along the way. And that's that's why I am pleased to, you know, share this experience because in the end, I think for me, being different can be also an advantage, right? Well, so, it's somebody, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think it's a role model. I mean, you're, you're, whether you set out to be that or not, you are now a role model because, you know, it's the same, I guess I, I can relate to a certain extent, the same with me. I didn't, um, you know, when I started my own firm, role model wasn't, you know, that wasn't the <laughs> furthest thing from my mind. It was just, I, I cannot operate in the traditional sense of how other firms are working. I wanted to be different. I wanted to, I wanted to spend time with my client. I wanted yeah. to go through a, a process. I, I wanted to do the planning first. Then I wanted to talk about, like you said, the products and I didn't want to you know, I personally am not a, a product person. I can give advice and help with the, you know, the investment piece, but I, I'm fee only. So I don't mm-hmm. do any, any commission products like you. And so like you, like you don't, right. So, mm-hmm. um, so the, the interesting thing is that the longer you're in it and the more, you know, you succeed and look back on it and think, oh my gosh, I'm glad I didn't know that when I started. Like in some <laughs> sense, like it's it's good that we went in somewhat uneducated, right? So, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, you know, it's interesting that um, I felt because I went from accounting, right, 
that's how I used to get paid is just charge yeah. a fee for advice. So right. it wasn't strange for me right. to say, you know, I spent a lot of hours crunching these numbers and come up with a good recommendation. I should be paid for that. Yeah. And so I think, of course, I had to learn along the way. The industry, it was not mature enough in terms of, you know, it's constantly evolving. So I was solo practitioner for three years. Mm-hmm. And then after my daughter was born, um, almost 15 years ago, uh, I merged my practice with another firm, very small firm as a partner there. So then I really focused my niche market, mainly corporate executives with uh, Mm -hmm. Fortune 500 companies. And because those were the people I used to serve when I was a tax CPA. Mm -hmm. So I... Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I felt like, you know, it's very interesting. The reason why I want to share that experience, why I think each person need to choose the best c- clients for yourself. Because for me, just imagine, uh, I felt very comfortable explaining complexity, right, of the stock option exercise, the tax impact and how I can help you make decision on deferred compensation and the trading plan for these public traded companies. So I thought, why not use that knowledge and incorporate that as an overall strategy? So when I was at my former firm, that's where, what I focused on in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, focusing on niche market. And then five years ago, I decided to start on my own. So I started Echo Wealth Management. So this way, I have all of the flexibility <laughs> in terms of what I want, how I want to serve particular, mm-hmm. you know, market. And uh, so I, I still, when I reflect back, I, I would say being different is a good thing. And mm-hmm. I found my sweet spot. And my sweet spot is really bringing something complex to something that is simple enough for people to understand and take mm-hmm. actions. So that's where I feel like, you know, I'm very analytical, as you could imagine, by training, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. at the same time, in order to be a great financial advisor, we must be relatable to people. Yeah, yeah. So It's the people side, yeah. And I think, you know, again, kind of going back just to taking, I just want to make sure that I, I, I drive a point home that, um, the big thing about being you, you have decided to create your own firm. Now you're hiring people. Um, you're setting an example. Uh, you're, you're, you made the comment that one of the reasons why we haven't seen our profession grow with minority or women is that they just don't have role models to go to. And people like you and I are becoming role models because we're, we're going back to our comfort zone of that, ideal of, you know, fee only planning where we charge based on a retainer or a, a fee, you know, a, a hourly fee or whatever that might be. But, you know, going back to what we're, what we're comfortable with and now having the opportunity to, to bring the next generation into the profession in the way that we didn't have, right. It's the whole standing on the shoulders of the, um, of those ahead of us. Right. And I don't know, have you guys within your firm, you know, have you started thinking about like an apprenticeship or an internship or programs that will, will start to think about that next generation? Yes. In fact, my firm, uh, quick overview about where my firm is right now. Um, So currently, three of us uh, on the team here serve about 80 households, and um, we manage more than $110 million. And uh, because I outsource so many things, that's why I do not have that a big, uh, you know, team here. Mm -hmm. I outsource compliance, technology, marketing, data reconciliation, billing, and performance reporting. So so that's one way. So what I'm doing in the past five years is I have been hiring uh, people straight out of college. <laughs> and uh, My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? They, certainly there were heartbreaks. I, could, I, can, I, I would be lying if I say mm-hmm. every single case worked out perfectly. Uh, but at the same time, I have determined 
that I should be able to offer these new people opportunities to, you know, to go through this because I didn't have the chance then. And so some people stayed, some people move on to different uh, career or different uh, companies. But so far, I still believe that even the people who left my firm after, you know, some people is two years, some people like three years, for example, mm-hmm. I am sure they they feel that they have learned a lot in the first mm-hmm. two to three years from, mm-hmm. you know, what I can do for them. So for that, I am very proud. And, um, and I certainly want to do more to attract women, right? It's mm-hmm. very different and difficult. And I ran a job advertisement on LinkedIn. The ratio of applicants uh, is about three to 10 in terms of women, right? So you are, you definitely want to hire women, but at the same time, there are just not that many women who are like, who want this job. Yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting when I'm trying to offer the opportunities, but then when I look through the candidates, there are just not enough women who want to give this a uh, go. Because they don't understand it. And I think that's, you know, I think the more women that I've talked to, when I actually explain to them what we do, they, you know, I've said it's 80% listening, counseling skills, and, <laughs> and 20% and I'm probably off on it, but I do, I feel like, you know, the technical skill is important. We don't want to be giving the wrong advice and I don't want to shortchange all of the training and knowledge and, you know, experience that we've had to go through to become what we are. But at the same time, um, it is really, really critical. Uh, listening skills are really, really critical in our jobs and, and women are great at that. I mean, I'm not saying that men are, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to genderize this to, to any degree, but I do think that there's a reason that when we've had a rough day, we want to go grab a glass of wine with our girlfriends. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. And if, if you think about that at a, a even higher level of financial struggles or even financial advice, when people can grab a proverbial glass of wine or cup of coffee or whatever it might be with somebody who's going to sit and listen to their dreams and their challenges and give them advice that helps them improve their lives, then that's really what we do. That's a much better definition. And, and yes, there is math involved. Absolutely. There's math involved. But I've met a number of women that have said to me, well, I'm not good at math. Mm-hmm. And I'll say to them, I bet I will bet you anything I can prove you wrong <laughs> because we use math so much throughout the course of our day. And if you have any children whatsoever, yeah. you think <laughs> you're doing math. <laughs> you're, you're I agree. Math because you're doing it in the sense of, all right, well, what do, you know, what do I need to do for my child for medication? Or what do I need to do for my child for feeding? Or what do I need to do for my child for this or for that? There's math in everything that we do in everyday life. I was talking to a a teacher that she's a music teacher. And I told her, I said, you know, I think that music and math have so many coordinated levels. I mean, if you think about a, a music sheet and you mm-hmm. think about the way it's laid out and you think about a beat and you think about, Absolutely. you know, all it, there's so much coordination. And I said, I think that's why I did well, you know, in those two areas of school, not that I didn't do well in others, but I, I excelled in those two areas because I, I got math and I got music. They came extraordinarily easy to me, thank God. And, and I feel very blessed by that. Um, but I, I do think that there's just math in everything that, that we do in life. And so when I, when I take the time to like turn that around and I say, and then, and then if you think about the other skill that's needed, which is the listening skill, then most, most women have that. I mean, we're just good at it. You know, we're nurturers by nature and that's really a lot of what this job is. Yeah. So I, um, I, I knew that we were, I knew this was going to happen. We were going to get on this topic and (laughs) talking about it and time was going to fly by. So there's a couple of things that I just want to, 
um, in addition to to that topic that I just want to touch base on. Um, so I, I want to talk about your journey because of the influences of, of you know, the formation of your company and, and you as a CFP, plus, plus the fact that um, I noticed, you know, you, you're, not, you're a CPA mm-hmm. and you're a CFP, but a lot of people don't have that triple threat of the CFA as well. Yeah. And what made you pursue, before we move on to the next topic, what made (laughs) you decide that you wanted to get that CFA? Because you mentioned earlier, like you were CPA, you didn't get into the investments because you had to have a, basically, basically a wall where you couldn't, you know, you could, you had, because of auditing, you couldn't, um, there was a potential breach of confidentiality. Um, So what made you decide to pursue the CFA? You know, interesting story. I initially, when I wanted to change my career, the first one I signed up, I already paid the money. It was CFA level one. And the funny thing is, I didn't know until I joined a study group, Goddesses of Financial Planning. Okay, I'm still a member of this exclusive Oh, my group. God. <laughs> okay, this is the Goddesses of Financial Planning. We are all women financial advisors and business owners. We meet like monthly for breakfast. Oh, how cool. Okay, so <laughs> when I first invited to join, I was tax CPA. And I was told they really would like to have a woman tax CPA to contribute to the team. So I thought, great. So that's how I was invited to join the group. And then... Over time, I realized I love what they do for a living. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, that's what I want to do too. And then when I just bought the books for CFA Level 1, I realized my my goddesses group disagreed with me. That was the first one to get. (laughs) So they were like, uh, Echo, may I, you know, explain to you like which one is probably most important at the beginning? Like you want you 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 need a client first, right? <laughs> and uh, and the CFA could take at least three years. So just remember, most people spend five years. Do you actually have five years? And I'm thinking, oh my god, yeah, that that is kind of long. And uh, so I decided to actually study <laughs> CFA. I, I passed a CFP exam uh, right before age 30. So, okay. of course, I wasted the money for the CFA level one oh. because I didn't take it. And then many years went by. Then I was in my 40s. Okay. And I no longer needed a, a better resume to look for a job. <laughs> and then one day, I think the curiosity is the main reason I took this up. Ah. And because I was reading... You know how it is after being in the business for so many years, you go to some conferences, they seem too basic for you. And then you're kind Mm -hmm. of like, oh, I need something a little bit like deeper or more interesting Mm -hmm. for myself. So Mm -hmm. I think it's my own curiosity about different investment strategies, including options. And so I was reading the books. And then in the end, I was like, oh, I remember there was a CFA thing that I didn't do. So I just thought, you know, after all these years, I, it should be easy for me, right? <laughs> I was wrong, actually, because <laughs> taking a test is very different than, you know, you have a very good practical knowledge, but test is a totally <laughs> different animal. Yeah. But anyway, so it took me, let's see, uh, level one, level two, no problem. Level three, it was totally different format. And I, because I left the former firm, I didn't have a lot of time to study. Oh, level mm-hmm. three, I had to take it the second time okay. because it was writing all morning. It's not something like a multiple choice. Yeah. And if you have to write three hours yeah, and I mismanaged my time. But anyway, so the answer is like, I don't think I ha- it's required. It's not required for this profession. I don't want to scare anybody away. Mm-hmm. And because most people with CFA charter works for insurance company or mutual funds mutual, pen- yeah. and pension yeah. funds. Yeah. And yeah. Um, most financial advisors, I would say, first get the CFP. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if they want to dive in deeper on portfolio construction and that 
I think they can always pursue more deeper knowledge in a small area. That's when the I think CFA comes into play. Yeah, it's just it is unusual to have the three C's. So um, congratulations on that. And- <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, I I certainly hope that you know uh, over time whatever I learned right in that program over several years is going to help me. Oh well, it'll help time. you be a great yeah. Well, it'll help you be a great mentor if you know as well. So it, it's going to help you in your job, but it's also going to help you be a great mentor to, to women in the future. So, so I want to, I want to switch gears just a little bit. You, you have sort of a seven step financial planning process that you take your clients through. And I'd love for the listeners to hear about that seven step process. I know in the past, I've kind of gone through what ours is, uh, you know, with other guests that, that I've had on the show talking about it, but I'd love to hear what you do when you walk through that seven step process. Yes, um, it is the seven-step uh, process um, by the CFP board, and uh-huh. I can yep. add some color to it. And certainly, it's the same process we all follow, right? CFP mm-hmm. professionals must follow. But I can certainly say, you know, once we have the engagement letter signed, normally what happens is we offer a complimentary phone call to see if that person uh, is a good fit to come into the office. And then after they come into the office, we do want to find out more about the person, whether this is actually a good fit. And once Mm -hmm. they understand and we both agree on it's a good fit, then we sign the engagement letter to start the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that is the engagement letter that we charge a fee for the first 12 months to do a financial plan. Mm -hmm. And this is separate than what I would charge on the investment management. So I have two Mm -hmm. separate services for clients to sign engagement letter. But once they decide to be a new client, the first step we do is understand the personal and financial circumstances. So through a discovery meeting, we call the first meeting discovery meeting about 90 minutes. And nowadays we do using Zoom. You know, of course, we Mm -hmm. work from home, too. And Mm -hmm. it's really important at this discovery meeting to understand clients' money history and Mm -hmm. their personal stories about what money can do for them. So I ask uh, quite a few questions. Uh, For example, one is, you know, what was your earliest money uh, memory, you know? And then, of course, what was your best uh, financial decision? What was the worst? Mm -hmm. And also ask some questions like, if you knew you have one year to live, Mm -hmm. what kind of activity activities you would like to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so by by asking that kind of questions i can understand them much better because in, that really help us in the future uh how to counsel these people so i would say that's number one the process the second one is we of course gather uh their financial data we use Zoom constantly to gather their benefit statements from their, you know, 401k, stock options, everything, and start loading the data into what I call Echo Dashboard is my financial planning tool. And after we have that kind of data, we help them identify and select the goals. Because if you think about the first meeting, they probably have a lot of dreams and a lot of goals. It's a conversation. But Mm -hmm. after looking at their data, we want to help them define their own goals and prioritize them. So they are written down. So they, you know, with that's really important. They are identify goals. And then the third step is to analyze current course of action and also potential or, uh, alternative cause of action. Mm-hmm. Just think about, you know, it's not one way to get to your destination. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. why I always want to look at it and say, you know, there are in general at least two to three things I can right away spot they need to make a change that would be very impactful. You know, they, I can see the gap right there. And then I need to explain to them and say, okay, if you make this change, what the potential outcome could be. And then understanding them, understanding if they are, for example, like retirement planning. 
versus college funding for the kids. Well, they are both competing for the same resources, right? <laughs> and it's very common to hear someone say, you know, I, I, I just have to pay for my daughter $70,000 a year private college because my parents pay for me. Well, you know, some people feel like guilty if they don't do that. But at the same time, if you look at their retirement funding, it's not enough. You, can't, you have two kids. You can't truly, you have to kind of think about a compromise there. So it's important for me to analyze that and offer alternative choices. If they are not willing to delay retirement, they may need to look at cutting back the spending. And then the fourth step is I need to recommend the actual recommendations, so I need to, after I analyze different choices, in the end, I need to develop the recommendations. So the fifth step is I need to present them to the client. So we have uh, two actual meetings to, depending on complexity, one is more um, cash flow oriented. So because uh, Echo Dashboard is cash flow planning tool, they are able to see the detailed cash flow year by year to age 95. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's really important for a client to understand what, what net worth is mm -hmm. and how to grow the net worth over time. But mm -hmm. it's important for them to understand how to re-cash flow. So we have a specific meeting just to educate client understanding the cash flow, how to see their projected net worth grow over time. And then we also have presenting different scenarios. And on the recommendation meeting, we could have two separate recommendation meetings. One is more investment focus, we definitely will dive into the risk profile and stress test different type of portfolio and explain the basic concept of diversification and how their current portfolio compared to the proposed portfolio. So mm -hmm. there, there is another recommendation meeting tend to be more insurance and, and estate planning focused. Because each person obviously have different, you know, they're at probably different stages of life. But in general, for recommendation, how we present recommendation, we have two separate meetings for recommendation. And then what's coming out of recommendation is what they agree to implement. A plan is just a plan. It does nothing mm -hmm. for you if you don't right. take actions to implement the strategies. Right. So it's really important for us to get the clients buy-in on every single recommendation. If they don't agree, it's really good to know why. So that's another reason I think uh, transparent and being really honest is extremely important in this relationship. So I... If they are not ready to take uh, move forward on certain recommendation, we document all that in our software tool in Salesforce. So in the future, we know which area we may need to come back and recommend again, depending on our situation. Sure. And once they decide to implement either insurance or investment, or if they want us to coordinate with the estate attorney or tax CPA, uh, we do that. We collaborate with everyone to make it happen, assemble the professional team to serve the client. So on implementation, that's the sixth step. That could take a while. So I mm -hmm. want people to understand implement recommendations could be several months. And sure. there are recommendations. They have to do it themselves. Uh, for example, if I tell them how to allocate their 401k plan, based mm -hmm. on the fund recommendation, they mm -hmm. actually need to go in and do it and yeah. I need to confirm they have done it, yeah. right? And then yeah. the same thing with election for deferred calm and the stock option exercise. I try my best to, uh, we monitor all the stock options so I'm proactive when I recommend and say, at this price, you are going to exercise and this is the tax impact. So people understand insurance, of course, if they want to buy insurance, they you know, we need to make some recommendation how much and long-term care, disability, or life insurance. Um, so that could take several months. So in a good scenario, I would say six months, the first six months with the new client is very extensive work. 
on both sides. But then after the six months, if we already have implemented everything, we are moving towards monitoring. The last step is monitor and update progress. So our relationship would move to the phase where we want to monitor whether they are still on track on spending. For -hmm. people who need actual help uh, on budgeting, we have tools as well. So what we are able to do and say, you know, since people, they know they have difficult time saving, then we have the tool to help them and say, here's how you set your budget and here's how you track it. And we want to check back with you three months later. So depending on their situation, it's a very common to see we spend 20 hours the first year to help the new client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of what I do on the planning side. And then if they choose me to manage the investment for them to have long-term relationship, we move to implementation of strategies by opening accounts and move the money. And then that's when we actually execute the strategies and with a discretionary trading authority. So I, so they don't have to, I don't need to get them to sign every single time when I buy or sell. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, thank you for taking us through that whole process. Cause I think a lot of times people have a false understanding of what financial planning is. They think it's investment only. And in reality, it's so much more than just the investment piece as, as people have just recently heard. Well, Echo, I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the show. I do want to ask uh, just two final questions before we let you get back onto your busy day. One is a question that I ask all guests on the show, and that is, what is your definition of success? Wow, it is personal, right? I mm-hmm. um, What came to my mind is um, make a positive impact in, um, I think, at least 10,000 households. I don't know why I came up with this kind of number, because in my brain, I just feel like I can personally serve maybe like 150 Uh, with my team, right? But I have decided that I I wrote a book, uh, Own Your Future, and that is out next month. And to, so that I can educate and inspire more people to start financial planning by learning about the financial planning process and tools, and also learn about who they need to, who they can trust and work together as a team. And just want people to think about wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Uh, If I could come here with $800 with all the barriers, right? (laughs) And I really want people, especially nowadays, Americans are probably in very tough situation right now. And I do believe that financial planning is just so important right now for them to prepare for this kind of We don't control the stock market, but there are things they can plan ahead to improve their situation. So for me, the success is someday if I could see that my work and my team's work can influence at least 10,000 households. And personally, I would say um, freedom uh, to pursue my passions in uh, ballroom dancing, dance competition, <laughs> uh, music, and I love music. I take a weekly piano lesson. Wow! And uh, I love to travel. So I, I am so success for me is having the time and money to pursue my own passions in business investing. And other hobbies, like a serious hobbies, uh, ballroom dance competition. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I'll have to keep us posted on how that how that uh, dream comes true. I have uh, complete faith in you based on, you know, learning more and more about you that when Echo sends her mind to it, it's going to get done. And um, I guess, you know, in, in moving over to our Nourish Your Roots section of the podcast, this is where we take just a few minutes for our um, for our guests to provide our listeners with, um, you know, the number one financial lesson that they've learned in their lives. Oh, number one. Wow. Imagine I had to write a book, uh, more than 200 pages to, to tell people what I have learned. But uh, if I have to choose number one, I, I will have to say, um, be adaptable. And uh, the reason why I say that is, uh, 
Yes, of course, people need to plan ahead, right? Planning will help you, but keep in mind that uncertainties are there always, and you must be adaptable in order to thrive. So, when we have financial crisis or whatever crisis you have in your life, remember that you know you can be adaptable to overcome these obstacles and be. The best version of yourself. So it it doesn't. It's not number crunching at this moment. The best advice, of course, there are other basic ones. Is of course spend less than you earn. <laughs> that was the simple way to explain it. But I I feel like if I have to pick one out of the many that I mentioned in the book,、uh, be adaptable is one of the one that came to my mind right now.、Mm. Well, that's a great tip. And、um, it, how can people find your book? Is it going to be available on Amazon or your website? Yes. yes, it's available on Amazon right now. But I do want your listeners to go to my personal website because、uh, that's Echo Huang, so E C H O H U A N G dot com. From there, you can get a special、uh, limited time. Gift if you buy either ebook or hardcover, and from there you also connect with me on all four social media as well. So I would love to hear from people if they have any questions for me related to immigration experience, you know, entrepreneurship, or just women empowerment. And I I want to connect with more people. Well, thank you again for being on the show. We really appreciate your time and. All that you're doing for the profession, and、um, you know, just just sharing your knowledge with us and the process of what real financial planning looks like, and and we do want to hear more about these ballroom competitions. Did thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule for being on Wine and Dine. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Have a great day. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or Amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next time.